Mindfulness Mode, 523. One thing I learned is you're so much more effective when you're not imposing discipline. Hey, Mindful Tribe, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining me today. Hey, I hope you're coping with this pandemic. Are you on lockdown? Are you able to take care of yourself to help build your immune system as we move through this? I just want to take a second, Mindful Tribe, to talk about water. Drinking more water will build your immunity. And here are two specific reasons why. Number one, water helps to carry oxygen to your body's cells, which result in systems that work at their very best. That water pumps up our cells and helps them function at the very, very best capacity. Healthy cells are packed with oxygen, and that means our muscles and organs are firing on all their cylinders, helping us feel our best and allowing our bodies to enjoy a superior immunity to foreign invaders like germs and viruses. And the second reason is this, water removes toxins from the body, so drinking more of it is believed to help prevent toxins from building up and having a negative impact on your immune system. So just a thought for the day, I encourage you to drink plenty of water every day. And I know I am, and I have been for some time, so just a little piece of advice there. Today's interview is one I recorded on March 11th, the very day the world pandemic was declared. And my guest has a strong Christian faith, and we talk about how Christianity dovetails with mindfulness. Sit back, relax, and enjoy today's episode. Hey, Mindful Tribe, have you ever wondered about some of the different theories out there, some of the different thoughts and ideas about how we got here and how the earth was created and things like that. Well, I have an interesting guest here who has written a book about this, and we are going to be talking all about that. I have Bruce Matson with me today. Hey, Bruce, are you in mindfulness mode today? I am very mindful today, yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Bruce Matson is an educator, and he's been an educator for 28 years. His experiences include being a teacher, an administrator, a bus driver, and a coach. And uh, he is still teaching, and he teaches some students, grade eight, grade four. But he only, now this is interesting, he only has six people in his school. So he's the principal, he's the teacher, and he's the administrator. So that must be an interesting role to be fulfilling all of those duties. Now, an interesting thing about Bruce is he's also a stage four lymphoma survivor. And starting in January of 2014, he endured 18 sessions of chemo and eventually a month of radiation in the summer of 2018. But he's now cancer free. So, congratulations, yep. Bruce. Thank you. Well, Thank you. I, that's one thing I've learned health is everything. Health yeah, is everything. It sure is everything. So, it's fascinating that you've written a book. And you've put a lot of lot of yourself into this book. And the book is called uh, From Goo to God. So uh, let's get started with talking about mindfulness first and what mindfulness means to you and, and how would you define mindfulness? 
Well, as an educator, I think it comes natural where you're always dealing with kids or staff members, and you have to be considerate to their perspective. You have to show empathy for their situation. You have to be willing to listen. So you have to be a good listener. You can't be quick to judge because there's always two sides to a story. So if it's dealing with a child with a discipline issue, or maybe they have something going on at home. So you have to be patient, to be mindful of you know, their situation and not jump to conclusions, not be quick to judge. You, know, you have to you know, have patience and hear things out and, and be as considerate as possible with whatever you then say. And so as not to make, because I, I always want to be, whether it's a staff person or a, a, a student, be part of the solution, not make the problem worse. And, and I guess one last thing for mindfulness for me is just to looking at myself, being mindful of my strengths, my weaknesses, to be open to other people's opinions when maybe I think I'm right, but you know, to be open-minded, to not discount other people because other people have strengths where which match my weaknesses. And we have to be, I guess, open and honest with ourselves where we can use others and learn from others, grow from others and, and be humble enough to, to embrace that and, and learn and grow from our interactions with other people. So how long would you say you have practiced a mindfulness type of lifestyle? You know, I would say that's a great question where I really purposefully did it was in 2004. Five, I started to, because that's when I became an elementary school principal. And I strongly started to look at our building climate, how we treated our kids, you know, our, our discipline structure and, and how we did things, you know, and in the fairness of it. So when I looked at how it was done, uh, and I'll be honest, I had some teachers come to me that said, you know, you've got to relook at this. You've got to relook at what we're doing. And so I took some research that I had gotten in from classes I had taken on, on bully-free schools. And I thought, well, you know what? This is time to implement some of those ideas. I'll be honest. Some of them were a little uncomfortable for me at first. And, but I tell you what, I'll swear by them today because they really, really worked. Because sometimes with discipline, one thing I learned is you're so much more effective when you're not imposing discipline. because. Students or anyone can rationalize, oh, you're just, you don't like me. But for students, especially to feel like they've earned a consequence and to talk to them calmly about what they did. And, you know, and so if they feel like they've earned something, again, and one thing I learned too is raising your voice serves no purpose, serves no purpose at all, you know, no. to get to underlying issues. And so if you can have a conversation with people on a deeper level and really find what's going on, you can get to the root cause and actually change behaviors for the good, where they choose to do it. They're not changing behavior because they're afraid of you, because that's not a long-term solution. No, it really isn't. And I, yeah, I think it's it's fascinating that you came to terms with some of those changes. And as you implemented them, what kind of changes did you see in your students? Well, listen, I'll go by what other people said. We had a speech therapist who came to our school a couple of days a week. And she says, I love coming to your school. It's so notable how positive your school is and, and, and just the kids understand the expectations. And that's one thing that we really concentrated on is we, we talked about building level expectations from walking in the hallway to in the bathroom, to, to in the classroom, uh, on the playground. And not only did we, we put these in writing, we, we talked about them at the beginning of the year, but then we reviewed them regularly. And if a student 
was not meeting expectations, like maybe they're running in the hall, would say, instead of yelling there, what are you doing? You you say, excuse me, what's the expectation in the hallway? And then they would go, oh, and and, and it was a positive way to get this, the response I wanted, mm-hmm. you know? And, and so it was a positive way to do something without raising a voice or, or yelling or, or just to have the student um, receive the correction. So we, we just learned to, and we learned to recognize good behaviors, you know, to, to, we had a little reward system where, where we would give out tickets that, that could be kind of u- then used at our school store. So when kids saw that, oh, wow, they're noticing when I'm being good and they're rewarding us when we're good and not for everything, for going above and beyond, you know, not for doing what you're expected to do. Right. But just the fact that we noticed when they did something good and, not, and didn't just recognize them when they were doing something bad. Right. That was very, very powerful. And so the kids who tended to be in trouble more often, they wanted to earn those tickets and they would just beam when they got one. And so it, uh, so again, rewarding the positive, ad- addressing the negative or bad behaviors in a positive way and being consistent, being consistent was so huge. One thing we did too, we had a discipline rubric where we basically listed all the possible from teasing, the pushing, shoving, whatever. But then we had first offense, second offense, third offense. So it was all laid out. So it took away the, if I was in a bad mood mm-hmm. or if, if, or, or maybe they had a brother or sister who was maybe not behaving well. I'm, and I'm going to, you know, put this kid in this, but no, it took all that out of the way. It made it very fair that no matter who you were, you could be a school member's child or someone who's had trouble in the past, but first offense, same consequence, second, same consequence. And so when, when the kids who did struggle more in the past saw that consistency and saw they weren't treated any differently, because the human nature was, and it did happen where sometimes those kids, you know, you know, who had a history had a more firm consequence early in the year, which really wasn't fair, you know, and you can't link past behavior from prior years, you know, it's just, or, or from what a sibling did. And, and again, it's human nature to do that. I think, well, I'm going to jump on that kid early this year. And so that, that child thinks, well, what difference does it make? They're not going to give me a chance there. And so they're going to act out. They're going to, you know, and so it's just having that consistency and dealing things with a positive way. And, and one, one last thing I want to share too, is I, I told our teachers the kids will never hear us talking ne- negatively or complaining in front of them. We can have those conversations in, in, you know, in private, but kids need to hear us talking positively, reinforcing good behaviors. They need, we need, need to role model that. And our staff was just terrific with that. And, and I tell you what, the kids just ate it up and it really made a difference. Oh yeah. That's, that's incredible. It sounds like your students are very fortunate to be at your school. Yeah. Yeah. It, 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 it ended up, you know, it's a lot of fun then, you know, yes, it, it, yes. it, it, it changes it, the school climate and it puts everybody on the same page. And, and it, again, kids have a unique sense of fairness. So they, they, they know that, and again, they'll accept consequences when they go, oh, okay. Cause everyone else would have got this too. And you, you take out, you de- depersonalize it, you know? So again, I, we don't want to impose things because they can think, well, you don't like me or, you know, it's like, no, let's look at the rubric. Oh, this is the second time you were teasing. Oh, look at your consequence. Too bad. That's what you earned. But, and mm-hmm. then you did, but, and what was powerful too, 
was you could look at the next consequence. Oh, look at if you do it again the third time, well, you're going to have a detention or something. And then you could kind of forewarn them. Then yes. it's not like you're making up a consequence off the top of your head. They can right. see and you can warn them. And so the, again, that added to the, I guess, the fairness of it, that they saw that it was pretty black and white what you would earn. And, and so they tended to receive that well. That is fascinating. Yeah, I think that's great that you're implementing all of those things in your school. Now, as a Christian, I'm wondering how that has impacted your role as a teacher and administrator in your school. Well, it's definitely made me um, more mindful, you uh-huh. know, to, to uh, try to be more Christ-like. I mean, the most mindful person in history, I believe, is Christ, Jesus. And he was didn't looked down at people, didn't condemn people, opened his arms to people, was considerate to people, you know, didn't judge people. And our human nature is to do do those things. And so I believe as I've grown in my faith, and and, and once I dealt with my health crisis, I'll admit I, I grew in that far more so, looking to my faith and to to model that and try to live it. And I am far from perfect with it, but it is a conscious thing I do know. And I think I thought I was always a good person, but it wasn't on the forefront of my mind of, you know, representing Christ and how he lives and how he expects us to live. And so, yeah, it's changed me. And tied to that, too, is why I wrote the book, because I was teaching science for many years. and, And there were so many things with evolution that I would see that I knew scientifically I could disprove. But that scientific proof or what disproves it is not part of the state approved text. And it would frustrate me. And and again, we're supposed to teach the state approved text. So we're not supposed to throw on our own opinions. And I'll I'll say it's not even my opinion. I can give you science, you know, on on why certain things aren't true or, or share other scientists who don't believe evolution is true, but, but that's not included. You know, I just, so I, it wasn't, it's not balanced. And I, I felt like we're teaching our kids some things that are definitely not true and, and we're not giving a full two-sided or multi-sided perspective. It's just one perspective being jammed at them and they're innocent and they're going to believe everything a teacher tells them. And, sure, yeah. and so my goal is to sh- get some balance in it and say, wait a second, here's what Charles Darwin thought, but here's things that go against that. And, and to, if I had my dream, that's how textbooks would be written, rewritten you know, to include those things. And I can give you many examples if you like, but it's, it's, it's. So in your it, dream, Charles Darwin would still be included as something that was taught. Is that right? Well, I think as far as historical context and, and what has kind of been accepted for a long time, yes. But like with many things, science evolves, to use that word, but changes, new discoveries are made. And like for years, they thought the world was flat. Well, we clearly we know that's not true now. Uh, for years, they thought that the Earth was the center of the solar system and the sun went around the Earth. And we know, well, no, that's not true. And I, and I believe in that context, you know, search, bring it up. But uh, I, I believe there are, there's enough science, especially modern science with DNA and such, as I can get into, that I believe totally disproves evolution. Because for something to be scientific, it has to be observable, has to be measurable, has to be repeatable. And there's actually nothing with, with evolution that meets those criteria. So it's truly just a theory that's spoken of as matter of factly. And, and that too is unfair. And, and um, it's just 
I want the other, the rest of the science to be part of that discussion and want people to make a decision for themselves and look at the other, other facts that go against evolution. And those just aren't being given to them. So what is the truth that should be taught to our young children? I'll put it this way. Yes, I'm a Christian. And yes, I believe in a creator. Now, science cannot prove creation or a creator. But what it does prove that there, there's so much intelligent design in everything from, from the universe, the solar system, to a single celled organism, to the human body. Things that cannot be explained from evolution, because which again, for that to be true, we we all have evolved from amoeba. If you really go far enough back, right. And the fact is, the only observable thing that scientifically is life comes from life, biogenesis. No scientist, no person has ever observed uh, life coming from non-life. Scientists have been trying for thousands of years to put non-living things in organic materials together to create something living and have not been able to do it. Scientists to, to, to this day are trying to do that and cannot do it. Scientists today can make some basic amino acid proteins, but first of all, that they're not a living cell. That's just molecules they're making. And... Uh, but like in the human eukaryotic cell, there's 20,500 different types of proteins, and they're able to make a few basic ones. And another thing, I guess that's kind of an amazing fact, when they make these proteins, they're actually either right-handed or left-handed. It's like sort of like they can't control which one will they'll create. Yeah. So and, can you explain to us that concept of left-handed and right-handed when it comes to the cells? Well, we're talking about a, a protein molecule now. So it's not even a cell. It's not right. even a living okay. cell. So, so again, amino acids are a foundation of living cells, but because all living cells are made out of 100% left-handed proteins. So we're really talking about the, the shape of it. And then there's like chains. There should be there's like a cell wall of a one-celled organism. There's like change of hundreds of thousands or millions of them to, to make up the whole cell wall. So they're like mirror images of them. So they're supposed to all be chains of left-handed, but they can't control whether it's left-handed or right-handed that they make. And when, if they have one of each, they actually destroy one another. So, so the chain breaks down. So it's sort of like flipping a coin. You might be able to get seven, eight, nine, ten heads in a row, but after that, if you're lucky, that, then it's going to break down. So they can't even make the chains of proteins that all living things are made out of. And scientists have estimated to make the the, the protein chains, all left-handed, for it to happen naturally is the odds against it happening naturally in nature is one in 10 to the 125th power. So I, can't, I didn't know what, how, if you want a gazillion, 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 <laughs> yes. but 10 to the 125th that they say it basically can't occur in nature. Mm. So, if, so if that can occur, cells can't form. Again, the first loving cell couldn't form. And so just in that, it, it, it's, the odds show it's impossible, you know, and just even as in, obviously we supposedly evolved from a single cell. Well, we know today that the one thing Darwin didn't know is cells have organelles, you know, they have, you know, vacuoles that hold uh, food, they have hold waste, they have a nucleus. Uh, these organelles communicate with one another even, and, and they, they have the ability to move to sense things internally, externally, to, to know what to eat. And 
So how did all these things come together, make themselves just by natural processes, natural chemicals in the goo? That's going back to the title of my book, From Goo yeah. to God, From the Goo yeah. of the Ocean, saying it just happened randomly and, and happened uh, that all these things came together. And, but then also what gave it life? You know, how did it cell have life? And the, the thing that, and going back to modern science now, that cell, and we know with modern science, getting back to why we can kind of disprove evolution is we know that every cell, even single celled organisms have DNA because mm -hmm. it's the DNA that makes all the structures within the cell. And it's the DNA that allows it to reproduce. And so how did that DNA write itself naturally? We know that if you could write the DNA of a single-celled organism in English, it would be like seven or eight volumes of an encyclopedia today. So can we believe that just random processes in the ocean can write DNA code? It, it's, it, you know, we know, we can't do it. Bill Gates, you know, with Microsoft said the DNA code is far, far beyond anything that we can program today. So we can't do it. Our best minds can't do it. Francis Collins, who led the Human Genome Project, said, you know, we're learning about the human, human genome, that it's, it's like the instruction book that was only known to God, is what he said. And so we can't do it. We couldn't even write the DNA code for a single-celled organism. So if we can't do it, for, so how could it just happen, occurred randomly, spontaneously, by chance? Because that's what you believe, you believe in evolution. So just that foundation from the proteins that are impossible to, to produce from natural occurrences or, or just the DNA to write itself. It's not even reasonable. And, and I think just that, and there's many more things, but that in itself, the very foundations just don't work scientifically. Yeah, it's pretty fascinating. That's for sure. So what do you think about the subject of consciousness? What is consciousness? Well, I believe that we are spirit beings in a physical world. You know, I, I believe we all have a spirit within, within us from our creator. And a lot of people are spiritual. They might not believe in God, but they believe in spirit. And I believe that's what gives us consciousness. That's what gives us our individual personality. That's what gives, gives us the ability to think and think about our origins and to, to create things. You know, again, we have consciousness that other animals do not have, you know, so, so the human species, we're, we're not like the other animals you know, so, so that's another thing that how would consciousness come about through natural occurrences? You know, that, that, that doesn't make sense either, you know, that, um, so, so yeah, I, I believe our human spirit is, is, is what gives us consciousness and gives us our intellect and gives us the ability to connect with our creator. Well, it is a fascinating topic. And I, I'm wondering when you were first diagnosed with cancer back in 2017, how did your Christianity help you through that tough time? Well, I, I, the very moment I found out the diagnosis, I, I just had such a strong feel in, in my heart. And, and I, I don't know that I can say I heard it verbally or audibly, but I just heard, you're going to be okay. You've got this. You're going to be fine. And I knew it was a, it was, it came from, I'd say like a, a latent faith inside of me. You know, I, I've always been a Christian, but I can't say I was delivering it outwardly, but it was just a moment that I knew God got this. I'm going to be okay. 
It's just a matter of whatever I have to endure. And, and then the doctor starts talking about chemotherapy and different things. And, and, I, and I'm just listening to, okay, what do we have to do? I, the, the, literally, I said, when he finished speaking to me, I said, um, what's the next step and how soon can we get started? Because I just knew I was going to be okay. I, I, I just believe we all are created for a purpose. And I, I just believed with all my heart that I was going to be okay and, and, and be able to do something more with my life. And, it, and at the time, I, I hadn't even thought about writing a book. And here, here we are right. now, yeah. you know, and, and I'm able to share a story and, and share something from my heart that I would have never thought I could do. Uh, but it all goes back to that moment that I just knew I was going to be okay. And I knew, I knew God was with me and, and would see me through it. And, and the, the whole time, you know, I've, I've, I've read more of the Bible. I've, I've uh, sought guidance from other pastors and just, I've, I've learned, I, I've absorbed, I, I, I've learned so much more than I did know. And um, I actually feel kind of guilty that I knew so little. You know, that, that I consider myself a Christian, but it, it was, I, I think, um, just too cursory and, and, yeah. but now, now it's part of who I am and what I do and how I live. And what and part of change. your body did the cancer start in? It was actually, I was stage four. It was in all of my, every lymph node in my body. I was wow. quite sick and in all my bone marrow. You must have been very sick. Yeah. The, the doctor said, uh, my scans uh, lit up like a Christmas tree. He said it was everything. And so I was very ill. And uh, so as a matter of fact, one of the blessings, because I was so far along, I got part of a, a research study because I qualified. I was so bad oh. that, to have some new, uh, the latest um, uh, drugs for lymphomas and Okay. And uh, it's not the kind of thing you want to qualify for, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I did. And, and again, that ended up being a real blessing too. Cause it, you know, in time I did get to cancer free. Um, I, I, I went about two and a half years in, and then I had some lumps reappear on my, my uh, left forehead and my left cheek that then needed radiation um, to, but that removed them both. And, and since, you know, I've, I've had clean scans. So um, well, that's, that's really amazing, isn't it? That you had cancer even in your bone marrow. And then later the scans indicated that there was no cancer. Yeah, it, it uh, right. Often when you get in your marrow and, and, and especially in the limb system, you know, it, it's, it's not a good sign. You know, the odds are, are not looking good. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I just, again, I can't explain it. Just, I, I knew in my heart I was going to be okay. And, and I, I knew that um, it was just a matter of time, you know. Did you and, follow any particular practices? Like, did you uh, change your eating habits or did you get more rest or did you start to meditate or pray more or things like that? Well, I'll I tell you what, I began to pray more. I, I definitely learned to listen to my body. Um, so it, it before... I might get a little sickness or a little ache here, there, whatever. And I would just kind of ignore it. And I was fortunate. I didn't get sick very often, but I, I didn't, I wasn't a doctor person. I didn't run to the doctor for things. And, and now I listen to my body. And as a matter of fact, about six, seven weeks ago, I started to have some like sensitivity in my stomach inside. And I, th and I thought, well, I'm going to go to the doctor. And I thought, oh, he's going to laugh at me. Oh, your side's a little sensitive. Well, I, I was on the early onset of shingles. Oh, wow. So I was lucky that I caught it early and it, it did 
get to a big rash and was quite painful. And it's finally subsiding now. But in the past, I would have thought, oh, a little sensitive skin, you know, big deal. Right. And I would have waited. And he said, oh, you're so lucky you didn't wait. Oh, is that right? So, Because then it could have blistered and gotten mm-hmm. really bad. So I, I, I got the antibiotic early enough mm-hmm. or antibacterial or yeah, antibiotic to, um, so I didn't get as bad as I could have, oh, but that's because I learned to listen to my body where before I, I would have thought, oh, I'm not going to the doctor. So yeah, it, it changed me that way. And, and, you know, it just makes me look at other people differently who have health issues and just to have more concern and empathy for them. And just to realize, you know, or try to realize what they're going through, you know, just to get through, through their day. And um, so it's easy to get caught up with the world and your job and the things you like to do. And it made me more mindful, um, you know, of even giving of myself, volunteering my time and, or, or some of my money to, to help causes that in ways that I never did before. And I, I think back, I think, why didn't I, you know, cause those needs were still there. And, but now it's like, I wouldn't do it any other way. So. Wow. Wow. I uh, always like to ask a question about bullying and I want to know if you have a story you can share with us where, you know, mindfulness would have made a difference. My very first day as a building principal, we get to the end of the day, the kids are dismissed at like uh, 310 and mm-hmm. by 3.30, my phone's ringing in, in my office. And it's a mother saying, it's go- started again. My daughter's getting bullied. I thought it was going to be different. And, and I'm like, she's just kind of yelling at me. And I'm thinking, oh, tell me what happened. She said, well, no, her daughter is legally blind. Uh-huh. She can see enough to like walk off the bus and get into, walk down the hallway. But, you know, can't read, can't play right. kickball and all those things. I mean, limited, but le- legally blind, but at the school and... And she said, you know, very first day, and, and this boy is calling her a blind-eyed freak. And, she, and she's, she just, and I just said, man, I said, I will take care of this. And she said, oh, she was a bit better. And, and of course, she had the right to be upset. Well, so the next morning, I, I bring this boy in. Mm-hmm. So I just start to explain to him what he did. You know, first, I'm sorry, here's another thing that I, I learned to do is I, I tell kids, you tell me why you're here. Mm. You know, let them verbalize. So that's also a powerful thing with, with accepting consequences in that. Yes. And I said, on the bus and, you know, oh, and then he knew right away. So he mm-hmm. starts to tell me. So I just started to paint a picture. I said, do you, do you realize what just her normal day is like? You know, just, you know, with her, her sight impairment to, to get herself dressed, to, to get breakfast, you know, to she can't play the same video games you can. She can't go out and run around like you can, you know you realize how difficult her good days are. Mm-hmm. And here you are and saying what you did. He said, and I just said, who gave you that right to do that? And this boy just started to sob. And I'm not raising my voice at all, just sobbed. And I could see that he really, you know, was remorseful. And, and he's just saying, I'm so sorry. You know, and I, because I could see he was truly remorseful. And again, this is my first, end of my first day, you know, second, beginning of second day now. And, and, he promised me, you know, he, it would never happen again. And I could tell that he meant it. I thought, you know what? I'm going to test him on it. I'm going to see, I'm not going to give him any other consequences. He's, he's talked to me. Mm-hmm. I'm going to see what happens. So the next day comes, no call from the mom. Another day goes by. And I think it was by the end of the second week. And what I would do, I would just be aware of when this girl came in and stuff. And, and I'd see she's okay. And well, two weeks later, I talked to the mother 
And she says, I can't believe it. This boy is just, he's sitting near her on the bus. If anyone gives her a hard time, he defends her. He opens the door to help her come into school. And she is so happy, you know? And and I'm just like, wow. I mean, I got goosebumps. I was just thinking about it. Yeah. Yeah. That's incredible. And it was all in painting the picture of being mindful to this girl, what it meant to be, you know, I mean, I wasn't using that term, but, you know, putting yourself in her shoes, do you realize what her day is like? And here you are making it worse. Mm -hmm. And, and. You know, and and again, I without yelling at him or screaming, and, and again, I didn't give any, and and it shows what he then did on his own. Yeah, you know, because he he felt I think a little bit of mercy, or, or as a good book would say, grace. You know, mm-hmm. that I gave him gave him a chance to prove himself, and you know, so that's I guess where my faith kind of comes into that too. Is you know, I just I'm going to give him a chance because I can always, you know, enforce something more dif- difficult, but. You know, and it never happened again. And that girl had wow. a great year. And that guy, he was actually, you know, when other little things would happen with defender, he became her defender. And, wow. um, and the mom was astounded by that. And when that I see is... the girl, just how things go on, big smile, she was happy. And so, yeah, it was, it just came back to a kid who bullied, understanding what it is to be mindful of who you're bullying and what the effect that has. And, how you really don't want to be doing that. You know, it's not, it wasn't his intent, you know, cause they're trying to build them themselves up and they're trying to, for whatever reason, or knock someone else down to make themselves look good. And when you can get that perspective and empathy, it, it changes behaviors. And for this boy, it certainly did. Yeah. It really does change behaviors. And I think it's, it's wonderful how you handled that because who knows, like if there had been a punishment or whatever, it could have embittered him and caused a completely different result. So that's amazing. I think when possible, I mean, you want to give kids a chance. Now, other times, times, like I said, with this rubric we developed, because I didn't have the rubric started yet, you know, but we eventually got to that. I mean, and you have to be consistent, but there's an example where, but I also read the, the child. I could see that he was truly remorseful and truly didn't understand what he was doing and the impact it was having negative on this girl. Right. And he wanted to set it right. And he went well out of his way to set it right. Oh, that's and great. so I was very proud. And I made a point of letting him know that when I'd see him now and then in the hallway, I said, Hey, you know, you're, in, you're, you're doing a good job, you know, and just uh, keep it up. And, because, you know, the kids need to know that you recognize or, or know that they're doing the right thing. And, and that's very powerful. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Bruce, as we move on in the interview, I want to ask you five quick answer questions. So just 30 second answers are perfect. The first one is this. Who is one person who has influenced mindfulness in your life? Well, to be honest, I, I, gotta, I have to go to Jesus because when I'm in reading the good book, I just, I am amazed by in reading the New Testament, especially the book of John, just the way he interacts with people like Zacchaeus, he sees him, he's a tax collector, he's a cheat. And he says, Hey, you know, I, I want to come and have dinner with you. And, and he just treats him with respect. He doesn't condemn him. He doesn't, you know, or when they threw the prostitute at his feet, he shows compassion for her, you know, mm-hmm. and, and says, well, who is here is without sin, you know, throw the first stone. And, you know, just the, 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 the way he treated people who were outcasts, you know, you know, he, he, he went toward the people with leprosy, not running away from them, you know? So I just can't think of a better example than Jesus. Yes. How has mindfulness affected your emotions? 
I am much better at controlling them because, you know, I, I, the old coach in me, you know, you learn to sometimes harp and not necessarily yell, but jump on things right away and, and make the correction. And I haven't coached for many years, but I, I've learned to be far more patient, contemplative before I speak. I really do try to think before I speak. And, and, and then you make sure that it's, it's what you really mean. And like I said, you're contributing to the solution, not making the problem worse. <laughs> Let's talk about breathing. Do you have any breathing practices or any thoughts on breathing that could help our listeners? Not really. You know, not that I can think of. I mean, but I, I do know that um, just from being a, a, a runner in the past too, that it's so, you know, if you can control your breathing, you can control your thoughts better and you can control your emotions. So it's, it's definitely a way and you can calm yourself too. Yeah, for sure. If you could recommend a book that could somehow help our Mindful Tribe listeners with mindfulness, what book would that be? Well, there's a book from, by Joseph Prince. He's a minister from, from Singapore called okay. Destined to Reign. Okay. And he, his book just blew me away. You know, that's part of one of the things I read when I, I, after I had been diagnosed. And, and he talks so much more about, you know, who we are as children of God and how, so we need to be mindful of others. We need to be living for others. We need to be giving to others. We need to, that needs to be just part of our daily mindset. And it just blew me away how, you know, he speaks a lot about the grace of God, how we're forgiven much. So we need to forgive, you know, and I just thought this book spoke a lot on that. And again, it was destined to reign. Destined to Reign by Joseph Prince. Yes. Okay. We'll put that in our show notes at mindfulnessmode.com. And could you share an app of any kind that could help someone become more mindful? Well, to be honest, I, I use Joseph Prince's app. <laughs> you know, okay. I have it on my phone and, and I'll look at it daily. And he always has something encouraging, whether, you know, to help you overcome difficulties or just, you know, how you should see yourself and not. Not, he speaks a lot about not condemning yourself and beating yourself mm -hmm. up. You know, the world can do a good enough job of that. We, we need to be, hey, I live with a purpose. I'm going to make this a good day. I, I'm going to do something constructive. I'm going to not only do something good for myself, but help the people around me. And that's the kind of messages he, he gives. Now, does that, is that app found by just looking up his name or under the name of the book? Uh, just by his name. His yep. name jo Joseph, Joseph Prince. Prince. Yep. Mm -hmm. Okay, great. Thanks for that. Yeah. Well, it's been fascinating talking to you. And as a fellow educator, I'm, I'm really, really interested in how you run your school and how you treat your children with total respect. I, I really appreciate that. So it's been great talking to you, Bruce. Well, thank you, Bruce. I appreciate it. And I love talking to fellow educators. One thing about educators, you make a greater difference than you can ever measure. No, you know, the things you say, you know, I think back to people who taught me or coached me. And I still reflect on those things. And they didn't know at that moment, the impact they were having on my life. And I'm sure you have the same effect on your, your listeners. Yeah. Thank you so much for being on the show. All the best to you. Thank you so yeah. much. I appreciate yeah. it. Yeah. Bye now. 